Matthew chapter 14. And I want us to look at this one story and, and learn from it. Okay, be encouraged by it. Maybe be a little bit challenged by it. But let God just say something to us that will help us, whatever our age and however long we've been a Christian, help us in our efforts to follow Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. Now, here's the background for the story that you just saw, and it's found in Matthew 14. Jesus has spent the day teaching a very large crowd. The Bible says there were about 5,000 men plus women and children. And uh, at the end of the day, they were hungry. And it's in that moment that Jesus performed the miracle where he took five loaves of bread, two fish, and multiplied them and fed that, that multitude of thousands. After they had eaten, Jesus sent the crowd away. He told them to go home. And then he told the disciples to get in a boat and cross the sea, the Sea of Galilee, go to the other side. He then went to a mountain and by himself was praying. And he said, I'll meet you the next day, but you go ahead and cross over tonight, and I'll meet you over there tomorrow. So that's what the disciples are doing. And in the middle of the night, the Bible teaches uh, very, very uh, early, say between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., so it was still dark. They're out in the middle of the sea, if you will, and they find themselves in this really bad storm. The wind is blowing hard, and the Bible says their boat is being battered by the waves, and they are terrified, they're afraid. It's a dangerous, life-threatening situation. And one of the reasons I, I really like this story from Peter's life is because I think it illustrates the way life often happens. I mean, you're just going through life, doing your thing, and all of a sudden you find yourself in the middle of a storm. The wind starts blowing, the waves start crashing, stuff happens, life happens, and sometimes it's bad stuff. I mean, the disciples were not doing anything wrong. Jesus is the one who had told them to get in the boat, cross to the other side. And so they're just following Jesus. And, and, and you're a follower of Christ, you're a Christian, and you're living life, and you're doing the best you can, and you're trying to live for Jesus and follow God's plan for your life. And, and then suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, there's a storm. Now, all of us know that sometimes... We make decisions and do things that create storms in our own lives, right? I mean, many of us have been there where we did something, we decided something, and it created a storm, it created a mess, it created a problem. But that's not always how it happens. A lot of the storms that we encounter in life, we did not create. They're not because of a decision we made. They're not because of, of action that we took. They just happen, and we find ourselves in the middle of them. I remember when my dad, uh, when we learned that he had cancer and he died in 1987. I was at our church in Sumter conducting a, a wedding rehearsal on Friday evening. And when I got home from that uh, wedding rehearsal, Monisa told me the family had called and dad had cancer. That was early August. He died that Thanksgiving. And that was one of those sudden storms and you just find yourself in them. Um, when uh, Manisa was six months pregnant with our first child, with Stephen, our son, um, there were some complications, and she had some bleeding, ended up in the hospital, and we had, uh, we had some fear for a while that we were going to lose our child. And that happened on a Friday night. We were watching TV, 
She gets up, goes to the bathroom, and all of a sudden everything changes. And, and storms can come on you that quickly. And it's not because you've done something. They just happen sometimes. Now, yes, yes, we can create a storm, and some, some of us have done that. But a lot of storms, that they just show up. That They're there, and all of a sudden you're in, you're in the middle of them. The Bible teaches that storms can come for a lot of reasons, sometimes our own doing, but storms just happen at times because the world that you and I live in is a messed up place. The universe, nature, has been harmed by sin. The Bible teaches that when humanity sinned, the universe became imperfect because God was not going to allow an imperfect humanity to live on a perfect world. And so when we became imperfect because of sinful choices, God, the Bible says, subjected the creation to futility. In other words, He made the world imperfect. And that's why there's natural disasters. We're not perfect. Therefore, we live in a world that's not. And so you have hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes. You have cancer. Some of us have to wear glasses. We get old. We die because we are sinners we're not perfect and we live in a world that's not. The world matches us. And the world is going to, com- to continue to match us until the second coming of Christ. And we are delivered from this sinful body. And the world then is delivered from the effects of our sin and is restored to perfection. But until then, we're imperfect people in an imperfect world. And sometimes storms are just the, the outcome of, of natural the natural disaster is just, it's just the consequences of, of living on a sinful, in a sinful world. It's been touched by our sin. Sometimes we, we encounter storms because other people make decisions and do things that hurt us. We're the innocent victim. We didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't our doing. They did it. They made the decision. They, 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 they are the ones guilty of the behavior, and it brought a storm into our lives. Um, some years ago when Monisa's sister, Diane, and her husband, Homer, uh, died in that commercial airplane crash in Lexington, Kentucky, 49 people died. And it wasn't because any of the passengers had done anything wrong. It was because the pilots did something wrong. They weren't doing their job. I learned through that experience that the government makes available to families a lot of information. And I was able to read the transcript of the cockpit recording from that morning. It was the first flight out of the Lexington airport that Sunday morning. And there's a federal regulation that when you're the pilots on takeoff and landing, because those are the most two dangerous times, the two most dangerous times in flight, that's when most crashes happen that during takeoff and landing, pilots are not to discuss anything else except takeoff and landing issues. They are restricted from discussing absolutely anything except their job in those critical moments. As I read that, that manuscript of their cockpit conversation, they were talking about everything but their job. They weren't paying attention. They weren't doing their job. And that airport has two runways, one for small planes and one for commercial planes. And because they weren't paying attention and doing their job, they took off on the wrong short runway. And by the time they realized it, they couldn't stop and they couldn't take off. And so 49 people died. And suddenly all of those families were thrust into a storm. And it wasn't a storm because of sinful 
universe. It wasn't a storm of the passengers doing it. Was, it was a storm because somebody else made the choice not to do their job. And so life happens that way. We're, we're going along, and you're, maybe, maybe you're living for God, and maybe you're not. Maybe you're trying to do right, and maybe you're not. But you're going through life, and suddenly there's storms. Some of your own making, some of other people's making, and some just because we live in a sinful world where calamities happen and disease exist. That's life. And it's going to be that way until the second coming. And I want to say one more thing. Just because you are in a storm does not mean you've done something wrong. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've, I've been heartbroken as I listen to people who are experiencing hard times say, I must have done something for God to do this or for God to let this happen. I must have done something wrong. I must have made some mistake. I must have sinned. I must, be, I must have done something because... For whatever reason, teaching, we've heard in other places and stuff, we have this idea, this mindset that if something bad happens in your life, it's your fault. You have to have done something sometime, somewhere that is responsible for that event in your life. And folks, that is unbiblical teaching. Sometimes you are the innocent victim. Did nothing wrong to bring that particular storm into your life. Sometimes, yes, you did it, but often, no, you didn't. And so stop telling yourself that if something bad happens in life, you had to have sinned for God to do that to you. That's not the world we live in. And so I, I like this story because Peter and the disciples are in that boat. They're doing what Jesus told them to do. When you look at the text in Matthew 14, in the very first verse, verse 22, Jesus told them, get in the boat. And cross the sea to the other side. They were in the will of Jesus. They were following the command of Jesus. They were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do and found themselves in the middle of a dangerous, life-threatening storm in the middle of the night. Do you get that? See, storms happen. And one of the takeaways is all of us are going to experience storms. Now, some of you, some of you have lived through multiple storms. Some of you are in a storm now. Some of you young ones haven't experienced much, but I, I got news for you. It's not encouraging news, but it's honest news. You're going to experience storms. They're going to come. They're going to come. You, you can't live in a bubble. Storms are going to come. But here's what I want to focus on for the next few minutes. What does our faith as a follower of Jesus look like? in this real world. Because we're not in heaven yet. We're here. We're in this physical, real world where storms are real, where storms exist. And faith in a perfect world is so much easier. But we don't live in a perfect world. We live in this world, the real world. And so what does faith look like in this world, this real world of storms? What are some things we can learn from Peter's experience that can help us as followers of Christ? Because that's who we are and that's what we want to be. So real quickly, I hope you'll jot these down. I don't have time to develop them. Just I want to give you real quickly some takeaways from Peter's experience 
that, that can help us examine faith as a follower of Christ in the real world where storms happen. So when you're going through a storm, when you're not going through a storm, what does our faith look like? Here's the first one. You ready? Faith is often mixed with fear and doubt. We sometimes tell ourselves, if I have real good faith, if I really believe Jesus, I I will have no doubt. If I really believe Jesus, I'll never be afraid. And that's simply not true. Faith is often mixed with both fear and doubt. Peter exhibited both. The Bible says he was terrified. And yet he had enough faith to walk. And the Bible says he walked toward Jesus. But then he became afraid and sank. Faith is often like that. It's a mixture of faith, but there's fear and doubt quite often even when you have faith in God. We tell ourselves if I have, no, if I, if I have real faith, there will be no fear. Listen, faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is a willingness to trust God, to believe God, and to obey God even when you are afraid. If you wait until you have no fear, you wait until you have no doubt, the likelihood is you're seldom going to trust God. If you wait till you have all the answers, if you wait until all the outcomes are guaranteed the way you want them, before you believe, before you trust, you're going to be waiting a really, really long time. Faith is trusting God and obeying Him even in the presence of fear, even in the presence of doubt. Number two, faith does something. Faith acts. It doesn't just stand still, sit still. It doesn't just stay in the boat. It gets out of the boat. It does something. And some of you need to stop sitting. Some some of you have been waiting a really long time for for things to get to a certain place or a certain way and, and then you're going to live for Jesus. Then you're going to trust God. And He's saying to you, get out of the boat. Because all the weeks and months and years you continue sitting or weeks, months and years you're wasting life. Stop sitting. Faith acts. Doesn't just sit in the boat. Number three, faith is stronger when we keep our focus on Jesus. Faith is stronger when we keep our focus on Jesus. As long as Peter was looking at Jesus, he walked on water. It was when he took his eyes off Jesus, when he took his focus away from Jesus, that he began to sink. Our faith is always stronger when we're in tune with, when we're in touch with Jesus, when we're focused on Jesus him. Pearl Baker is an 80-some-year-old member of our church who has cancer. And unless God intervenes, she'll be going home pretty soon. One day this past week, I visited her at her home, and she's keeping her focus on the Lord. She's told me more than once that she's ready. She's ready. But during my visit, there was, a, there was a, a moment when she chased everybody out of the house except me and her. Her son actually came during my time with her, and she, and she told him, she said, go out there on the porch and stay there until I tell you to come in. She sent, the, she sent everybody out of the house, just me and her. She wanted to talk about her 
her funeral and some other things. And so we, we planned her funeral. She told me what I was to preach. I don't let anybody tell me what to preach, but I let Pearl tell me what to preach. And then she started telling me about members of her family who aren't living for Jesus that she's worried about. See, when you, when you keep your focus on Jesus, it, it impacts what you do in the storm. It impacts how you handle the storm. It makes a difference in whether or not you do things that, I, that have significant worth while going through the storm. So you, you can go through the storm and, and, and make a difference, or you can go through the storm and squander everything. And, and she's trying to keep her focus on Jesus. And, that, and that's what, when, when, when Peter did that, he did well, but when he lost focus on Jesus and started focusing on other things, he started to sing. And it's easy to lose focus, but folks, listen to me, listen to me. Our faith is always stronger when we keep our focus on Jesus. Here's number four. Jesus is always there. But it's so easy for you and me to get distracted by life. Do you realize that Jesus was in the same place on that water when Peter was walking on the water toward Jesus as he was when Peter began to sink? Jesus is not the one who moved or changed. When Peter focused on Jesus, he walked on the water. But when he became distracted by the wind and the waves, he started looking around and seeing all of that and lost focus on Jesus. That's when he began to sink. And it's easy for you and me to get distracted by life. I mean, the storm is a big distraction. And we can become consumed by the storm. It's difficult not to be consumed by some storm. And in those moments, we need to work even harder at making sure there's a focus on Jesus. Circumstances. Busyness. Busyness is a distraction. You, you can be busy for a lot of different reasons. You can be busy with work, busy with family, busy with church, busy with this, busy with that. It doesn't matter, but busyness can become a distraction from your relationship with Jesus Christ. And you stop focusing on them. You're too busy to focus on Jesus. Other people can become a distraction. Teenagers, you start falling in love, great. It's a great thing. It really is. But it can also become a distraction. Hobbies can become a distraction. Having fun can become a distraction. God's blessings... We can allow God's blessings to become a distraction. I know people God has blessed in wonderful ways. He's blessed them financially, and then all of a sudden their toys and the things they can do become a distraction. We, 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 can, we can allow God's blessings to be twisted in such a way we, get, we lose focus on Jesus. And there's always significant consequences. Um. Thursday of this week, I was at White Oak Conference Center. And during lunch, I met a, a youth pastor from the Spartanburg area. I wrote about him in my blog this week. He was there on a personal two-night, three-day spiritual retreat. First time in life he'd ever done anything like that. 
because he, he was finding himself beginning to run on empty. And he didn't want to burn out. He'd been at this church for a few years, and the pastor who was there when he first went to that church, he's got a new pastor now, but that original pastor had resigned because of burnout. And you say, how can anybody doing ministry for Jesus burn out the same way anybody else in life burns out? You can be busy doing good stuff, anything, anything, and lose focus on Jesus and become empty. Spiritually, emotionally. And so when you find yourself being distracted, that is, a, that is a warning to you. Refocus. Refocus. You need to build spiritual routine, regular routines into your life to help you focus. And, and then when you begin getting distracted, those routines pull you back. Weekly worship and Sunday school and Bible study attendance. Don't, don't take this for granted, don't, don't be haphazard about attending worship, about attending Sunday school and Bible study. Don't be haphazard about it. It's dangerous. Don't, don't just show up when it's convenient. Be here, be here, be here. And when you go on vacation, go to church. I know some of you think that's the silliest thing you've ever heard. But I'm telling you, it makes a difference in your spiritual life. Habits are easy to develop, including bad ones. When you do something one time, it's easier to do a second time, easier to do it a third time, easier to do it a fourth time, easier to do it a fifth time. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Your daily Bible reading, daily prayer, your quiet time. By the way, I want to help you with prayer. In your bulletin, you'll notice there's a prayer workshop two Wednesday nights from now that I'm going to lead. And this is not why to pray, but how to pray. Very practical. How do you pray? And how do you pray prayers that don't become so monotonous they become boring? Any of you ever been there? Very practical. So I hope you'll come. You can sign up on the welcome card. And um, last week, Brother David Mitchell wrote a devotion to go along with this sermon, uh, last week's sermon. So every week on my blog, there will be a, a lengthy devotion with several action steps that you can participate in to, to follow up on the, these sermons in this series. So I hope you'll go to my blog. It will be one of the posts for that week. Okay? And the address is at the bottom of your sermon outline there. So check it out. Listen to Christian music. Hang out with some Christian friends. Meet some new Christians, that you, you know, people you don't know. That's what that meet the family insert in your bulletin is all about. We want you to, to meet some new people. Get to know some more believers. And so fill that out and turn it in on your way out this morning. And, and this summer we're going to match you up with three other families. There'll be four of you, four, four of you, four, four units or whatever. And um, y'all just get together two or three times this summer doing whatever you want to do, whether it's a cookout, swim party, picnic, somebody's hat, dinner at somebody's, whatever you want to do. And uh, we'll put you kind of geographically together, but we, wanna, we want you to meet some, we want you to meet some people who are a different age than you. We want you to meet some people who are not your age. We want you to meet some people who go to the other service. We want you to meet some people who are not like you, except they love Jesus too, and they're part of this church, okay? And you'll meet some who are in this service and your age. We want you to meet some people. You need Christian friends to keep you focused. All right, I'm out of time. Number five. Number five. 
when we fail, and we will, it's okay to cry out to Jesus for help. When Peter started sinking into that water in Matthew 14, what was the first thing he did as he started sinking? What does it say? He cried out, Lord, save me. Help me. And sometimes when you and I fail, when we make a bad decision, we mess up, we're embarrassed. Sometimes we feel guilty. And we don't think we're worthy of God's help. And so we, we, we don't ask God to help us. We, we, we want to fix it ourselves first. We want to do something to make it a little bit better first. And then we'll feel worthy to ask Jesus to help us. And folks, that's a mistake. Peter would have drowned if he waited. And your Jesus, your God is a God of mercy who wants to reach down like he did with Peter, grab you by the hand and lift you out of the water. He can't always undo the circumstances or the consequences of your choices, but he can put you in a better place and give you a better future than if you never cried out for help. So when you fail, it's okay to say, Jesus, I blew it, or Jesus, I can't do this by myself, or Jesus, I don't have the answer. Jesus, I'm calling out to you. That's good. That's okay. Don't be too embarrassed. Don't feel so unworthy you don't do that. God wants you to do that. And He'll be there for you. Okay? All right, number six. An imperfect but growing faith is better than no faith. An imperfect but growing faith is better than no faith. Now, Peter had faith. He walked on water. You ever walked on water? Hmm? He had some faith, right? But it wasn't perfect because he also sank. You remember the man in the Gospels said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Faith mixed with fear and doubt. Not a perfect faith but an imperfect faith, yet one that's growing, because the alternative alternative is to either give up or keep growing. Give up or keep growing. So an imperfect but growing faith is better than no faith. And here's the last one. Keep worshiping Jesus. Keep worshiping Jesus. When they got into the boat... Peter and the other disciples, it says, did what? They worshiped Jesus. And when you are numb, when you are hurting, when you're afraid, when things are going well, when you are happy and excited, when you're in a storm, when you're not in a storm, whatever your circumstance, be a person who worships Jesus. And let me just say, when you're going through the hard times, you need to worship Him even more. Because too many people, when they're going through a storm, make a really big mistake. You know what it is? They withdraw. When they're going through a storm, they hide. They withdraw. And that's always a mistake. When you're going through the storm, that's when you need people more. That's when you need Jesus more. When you're going through the storm, run to people. Run to Jesus. Don't withdraw. Don't hide. Keep worshiping Him. Close with this. We've got a we've got a team going to Haiti again this year. We've had uh, several teams go in recent years. 
that massive earthquake struck in January of um, 2010, I believe. Massive damage. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people killed. When the uh, earthquake struck, that by the way, that's a picture of the Hotel Montana that was destroyed. There was a, there was a film producer named Dan Woolley who was staying in that motel. And, w- and when it began shaking, he did not have time to, to get out to the streets to safety. He was inside. And when the, when the hotel collapsed, he found himself in the basement, surrounded by tons of debris. His foot was broken, several cuts on his legs, wounds on his head. And he managed to eventually crawl to, a, to an elevator shaft where there was a little more safety from falling debris. He was trapped in that basement amid all that debris for 65 hours. Eventually he was rescued. Now, Dan Woolley is a, is a Christian. He was there to make a film on the starving children in Haiti. But during those 65 hours, he thought the most likely scenario was he died that he wouldn't survive. And so he decided to write a note to his wife and children. And part of what he said as he was encouraging them to continue trusting God even in horrible situations, here's what he said. This is a quote. He said, he he wrote to his wife and to his children, he said, I was in a big accident, but don't be upset at God. He always provides for his children even in hard times. He continued, I'm still praying that God will get me out. He may not, but he will always take care of you. Whether you're in a storm or not today, what is your faith like? What does it look like? In in this real world, what does your faith look like? What do you want it to look like? Is it growing? Are you focused on Jesus or finding yourself distracted? What does it look like? What do you need to do? What thinking do you need to change? What action do you need to take? What step of faith do you need to take? What do you need to do to refocus? refocus to refocus let's stand Father this real world is such a mixture of beautiful beautiful moments and also painful ones and Lord our desire is to love you know you and follow you live for you obey you And God, I pray right now for each of us in this room as you speak to us, talk to us, that you will help us listen and hear, that you will help us obey. 